0: Welcome to the clemson dubcast it is friday may 19th an eventful week down at amelia island florida actually it was only monday to wednesday but we've been writing a lot about that our feel for the situation our take on the situation our pseudo gut feelings on how the situation might evolve have spent most of this week writing about it and we will continue to because we know there's something at the top of mind for everybody out there. So to check it out, go to tigerillustrated.com. at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Its office is located beside the Walmart Neighborhood Market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. Salero Communications Formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading edge technology. Celero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Celero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Celero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Celero at celerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Okay, great to catch up here with Grace Rayner of The Athletic. She recently, I guess within the last year, underwent a career change moving from the Clemson Beat to covering something called recruiting and all the many stories that can come from that. Really enjoyed this. Here we go. (laughs) Okay, joined by Grace Rayner. I'm really excited to catch up with you, Grace. How you doing?
1: I'm doing well, Larry. How are you?
0: I'm great. So, um, a little birdie—well, not a little birdie—you told me that <laughs> that you're uh, you just got back from Chicago um, from, uh, I guess, a summit with uh, the Athletic, and now you're packing for Italy. And then when you get back from Italy, you're moving to Virginia.
1: So, yes. Uh, yes. It, I mean, it's been a wild, I'm like, I have lost like total concept of days, times. Um, It's been a really, a really hectic spring, but yes, all good things, all very fun things.
0: All right. Do you, you still live in Greenville or is it Charlotte?
1: So I was in Greenville. Yep. I was there for, gosh, I was thinking about this the other day, six years. Um, I started in 2017, which it feels like that just absolutely flew by. Um, and then I just moved out of my Greenville place. So I move up to Virginia. I don't know when this podcast comes out, but like early June.
0: Okay. And what's the, what's the purpose of moving to Virginia?
1: That is where my, uh, longtime boyfriend that actually Anna Hickey introduced me to, um, that's where he is. And, uh, it was just time, you know, just, um, I'm a little more flexible now work wise. Um, so just sort of the next step in my life.
0: And what part of Virginia?
1: Um, like the Virginia Beach, Norfolk area. So um, a little like total 180 from the mountains of Greenville, but I'm excited to like, I've heard that that's a, a pretty awesome recruiting area. So I'm excited to have some, some big time talent in my backyard and then uh, hopefully get to the beach in like 15, 20 minutes.
0: Yeah. That sounds fantastic. And then I have to ask about the trip to Italy because I'm insanely jealous among probably hundreds or thousands of other people. So (laughs) what are the details of that?
1: Okay. So, well, so I've never been out of the country before. um, So I'm really excited about it, but we are starting in... I feel like I keep getting this order wrong. Also, I li- like this was the week where Nick Saban is literally in Italy. And I saw this on Twitter <laughs> this week. And I was like, am I going to run into Nick Saban? Like, should I go looking for him? <laughs> um, we're starting in Rome. And then we are going to Florence, Cinque Terre, Milan, and Venice.
0: Wow. Is this by car, by train?
1: I think mostly train. Actually, okay. I think exclusively train. Um, we fly into Rome. We'll fly out of Venice. Have you ever been?
0: Rome is the only place in Italy I've been, but yeah. How was it? It's fantastic. It It's, um, now it's dirty. It's a big, it's a big, dirty city. So if you go expecting, you know, uh, uh, you know, palatial paradise, you know, you, you have to wait, you have to wait for that on your, uh, subsequent stops after that. But in terms of the, the history, like. You know, you're sitting on like a park bench that's older than our country, you know, and you're that's like, insane. oh my God, this is, this building was here when Jesus was walking around, you know? So it's just, um, that part of it was just absolutely fascinating to me. Um, and I assume it'd probably also be, uh, for you. So, um, beware of pickpockets.
1: I'll okay. good to know. Um,
0: Yep. Uh, they, I guess it's a, but yeah, you, you the, uh, it's around this bus station, I think. Uh, I have vague memories because it was like two thousand five, two thousand six, when we went. But um, but there are pickpockets around that er- the bus station area. Um, there are h- hundreds and thousands of scooters. That's how they get around mostly, or at least they did when <laughs> when I was there. Um, okay. But yeah, just a tremendous place. How many nights in Rome?
1: I think we've got, I think it's two. We land okay. at like seven in the morning. Um, and then we have, the. so our first day is pretty wide open. And then our second day is jam packed. Um, we have like a Rome in a day tour where mm-hmm. we just crammed literally everything in. I think it's like eight hours. Um, so by the end of it, I'm probably going to be pretty crappy, but at least we'll be able to hit all the, all the important stops before we bounce to the next one.
0: The red wine is amazing, uh, mainly because it doesn't have like the sulfites in it. And so it's almost like, uh, it's just a different sort of effect almost, if that makes sense. Um,
1: that's what I've heard. It's like lighter than American wine.
0: Yeah. So really, really cool. Um, well, awesome. That sounds like a, sounds like a great trip. And by the way, speaking of, um, one future hall of fame coach, uh, uh, having taken a vacation recently, Dabo Sweeney in Africa
1: on a safari. That is on a safari. so cool. <laughs> is that what he's doing? So I heard that he was in Africa. I'd probably heard it probably from you or from Twitter or something. What is he? Is he on a safari?
0: That's apparently like I. That's a um, I actually asked uh, the esteemed uh, communications director Ross Taylor. I was like, is he? is it, is this true? Is he really in Africa? And he's like, you know, I don't know. I don't totally feel comfortable, you know, sharing all the personal information. You know, I don't I don't know if he would want it out there. And my response was Dabo is probably the last person on the planet who would not want to tell people about a vacation he just took, you know? So, but uh, I knew he was going overseas at, uh, on a vacation that he initially planned that got canceled because of COVID and that he, had, had penciled this one in a, a, a long time out. And that was the reason he, he missed the uh, ACC meetings at Amelia Island. But I never thought to ask where I just assumed it was like Europe or or yeah. something, but, um, I just want to see a picture of him in like all khakis and one of those hats or whatever.
1: <laughs> that would be amazing. With like the, um, cause when you go on a safari, you get like right up on the animals, right? You're like pretty close with them.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess I've, I've never been, but uh, there's definitely a metaphor about the ACC being thrown to the lions. Or, uh, anyway, anyway, I don't know, but um, yeah, I, I, I'm guessing that the first media availability he has upon his return will be uh, consumed with his his account of uh, of of his trip, which I can't wait.
1: That is so cool. Good for him. I love seeing. Like, I feel like this is obviously the time of year that coaches like we've always known this, they all go vacation this time of year. And then June they come back and it's absolutely crazy with recruiting visits. But I, I love that we're sort of seeing more and more glimpses into, you know, like Nick Saban spotted in, in Italy and just, I don't know. just it kind of humanizes them in a way that it's a a good reminder. I think like, Oh yeah. They, they also take vacations with their families.
0: (laughs) And it seems like Dabo, uh, savors life and all those parts of life, every part of life more than, more than the, the other coaches probably do. You just know he's having a blast doing whatever it is you do on a safari.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. I bet his, I want to know what his uh, photography skills are like, like are we working (laughs) with an iPhone? Did he bring a disposable camera? Like what do we have going on here?
0: So, all right. You're what, actually, you know what? I, I wanted to mention something else. Speaking of Dabo and, and, and his, his uh, long-winded accounts of of whatever. I was was looking at the craziness going on at Colorado right now with, um, I guess, they're basically firing people um, off the roster. And they have, if you look down the commit list, I'm guessing you've seen it, but it's like, you know, Clemson, 21, South Carolina, 23, uh, Georgia, whatever. And then it's Colorado, 68 commitments.
1: Is Is that what they're at right now?
0: That's, I mean, a a couple of days ago, 68 commitments. That is so crazy. And my first thought was, can you imagine Dabo's signing day press conference talking about 72 (laughs) commitments?
1: We would would literally be there. What what, should we average? It's probably like five minutes per, per person. Yeah. Yeah. So like 350 minutes, however many hours that is. Yeah, we'd be there all day.
0: Pretty amazing. All right. Uh your your story is so interesting. And I guess um let's let's talk about the Clemson sort of specific part of the story. You started, you replaced Aaron Brenner um at the post and courier after right after the 2016 season, right?
1: Yes. Yep. They my I think like my second or third game on the beat, because they were sort of getting my feet wet, was um like the playoff, <laughs> which was awesome.
0: Yeah, and then Well, first of all, what was that like? Because you went from, initially you were working in Charleston for the paper, correct me if I'm, correct my memory if it's, if it's wrong here, but you were doing like human interest type stories, just type, you know, going out and covering like a sailboat race one day and then, (laughs) um, and then something totally different the next. Is that right?
1: Correct. Yep. I was general assignment, um, like in Charleston on the sports staff there. And that was my, my first job out of college. Out of UNC. Yes.
0: Right? Yes. And how yep. long how, how long did you do that?
1: I did that for about 10, I think 10 months. Um, and I got there and I mean, you know, Gene Sabakoff, he's amazing. Yep. Um, and he, he and I were still very close to this day. And one of the first conversations that we had was he kind of sat me down and was like, okay, what are what are your goals? You know, what's your, what would you like to do? Um, and I told him that at some point I wanted to, I knew I wanted to cover college sports. I had had two internships with major league baseball and I really loved it, but I didn't love the schedule of baseball as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, and so I told him, I I really want to be on a college beat and I want them to be nationally relevant in one of the two big sports, football or basketball. I didn't care which one. Um, and then obviously I got, I got very lucky that that exact scenario opened up at my, my own paper. But, um, yeah, I was there for about a, a little bit less than a year.
0: Yeah. Aaron Brenner, um, decided to make a career change and went into real estate, um, which that sounds like he's doing really well at back ho- in his hometown of, of Denver. So when did you, can you remember what, when you got word, Hey, Aaron's leaving and there's going to be an opening and you're in the right in the wheelhouse of maybe filling it. What was that like?
1: I can't remember exactly when I got word that he was going to be leaving, but I do remember immediately hoping to throw my name in the, in the ring. And this was around, this was like right after, you know, Dabo had the pizza party and like Clemson was like America's darling at this point, as you remember. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I had, and I didn't really grow up, um, I didn't watch a ton of Clemson growing up, but I had that season, um, that 2016 season. I had obviously paid more attention to them. That was the wild um, Louisville Clemson game with Lamar and Deshaun. I mean, you remember all this. I'm mm-hmm. telling you about things that you already know. Um, but my point is that I had I had followed them a little more closely than I normally would have. And I had remembered thinking that whole season that job would be so cool if it ever came open. And I had no idea that it was gonna come open as quickly as it did. Um but timing and, and luck is sometimes like that. And then I, I vividly remember uh my first game on the beat was the Syracuse game, uh which was a total blowout. And I had been to Clemson once when I was a student at UNC and even then in 2014 or whatever it was, um, Deshaun had set like a freshman record or whatever against Carolina. And I remember being at the campus and at the stadium being like, this place is very cool. And I love this atmosphere. It would be super cool to come to some games here. Um, because you know, I grew up in a basketball state, obviously not, not a huge college football state. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm rambling at this point, but I just remember thinking this would be a really cool job if I ever got lucky enough to get it and then the timing just was was super fortunate.
0: That 14 game, did you come you came down as a fan or or writing for the Daily Tar Heel newspaper? How, what was the capacity?
1: The Daily Tar Heel, yep. There I still have a picture of me and my best friend from college in Clemson's press box. Um you can see the hill in the background and I remember the very first, I'll never forget it. It was my most it was a very vivid memory. Mike, we pulled into Clemson's campus and I had never been there before and we passed SO on our way to the stadium and the tailgating was exactly like what it is now. And everyone looked so happy. And I think that at this point, um, I remembered like my college career counselor in high school saying, yeah, like uh, there was some review about Clemson has like the happiest students, you know, in the country. And so I was always curious, like, you know what's what's clemson like um and i'll never forget pulling in that day and passing by so and being like man everyone here looks like they're having an awesome time
0: had you had you previous to that had you been to any quote-unquote big-time college football atmosphere you know with 80,000 fans in the stands and so on
1: not really honestly i mean i grew up going to 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 North Carolina football games, um, my older brother went to NC State, and so we, you know, when I was in college, I would go over there for some games, and and I loved their atmosphere and their tailgating and all that kind of stuff. Um, but in terms of the like SEC esque experience, no, um, like my whole my whole life, I I grew up going to basketball games, and so seeing an atmosphere like Clemson for the first time was was really cool for me.
0: That was really thinking back to that point, that game, that was really when, that was kind of a pivot point because the week before Clemson had gone down to Florida State and really outplayed them for most of the game. Cole Stout had started for the last time in that game and they finally pulled the plug on him. Deshaun comes onto the field and looks like he's better than everybody on the field. And I'll never forget Kirk Herbstreet saying this kid in the number four jersey is going to be the face of, of of college football moving forward, and so a week later, I don't think there was an open date. I think it was the next week. They come back, even though they had lost to Florida State, and it was a just a devastating defeat. Um, just for, in the manner in which they lost a close one, it, there was an air of just um, of kind of wonder and anticipation because you just felt like things were really about to take off. Uh, with the and they certainly did, and so that was that's what sticks out in my mind. That was kind of an important time uh, when you came and in, came in, uh in a working capacity as a college student that day, that night, I guess.
1: Yeah, I remember just you know obviously um, they're announcing in the press box. You know, he said I can't remember exactly what the record was. Um, of course, I was on I, my coverage was on the other side of it. You, you know, UNC was on the wrong side of this, um, and I think at that point. I don't fully remember, but I'm pretty sure I, I do remember being a junior and a senior at UNC, and the defense had major issues, and you know all of these things. So that was sort of a, a running theme that year. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I still vividly remember. I don't remember all of the details of the game, but I remember being there and, and being at the uh, at Death Valley for the first time, and being like, "Whoa, this is a a place that I have seen on TV, and this is a cool place to be." And just kind of soaking it all in was really awesome.
0: So the average listener, fan listener who's listening to this is going to think, oh, well, she's a North Carolina fan. She's a Tar Heel fan. Do do fans and sort of the outside world, outside meaning outside of the media sort of bubble, do they make too much of, you know, school affiliations and all that, given that, it's really for most of us it's a job and we it's just at the end of the day at least in from my perspective and from the perspective of a lot of the people I've been around over the years you're you don't really care you just you're just glad you finished your your work and you're ready to get home <laughs> and get a beer and watch another game is that how it is for you do you the is it kind of like the the wonder and the Um, I guess the magic sort of wear off once you start doing it for a living and you sort of see how the sausage is made, so to speak.
1: For sure. I mean, I think, and you know, this super well, Larry, like game day is just totally different for us on the reporting side than it is on the fan side. And so um, and I am I'm well aware of my weaknesses as a writer. The like game coverage to me was always the hardest part because my brain just doesn't process things super quickly, and so all of a sudden you're asked to process a three and a half hour sporting event sometimes in ten or fifteen minutes. Um, and so by the time we are getting to the fourth quarter, I'm like I I was often rooting for a blowout or <laughs> some <laughs> some sort of obvious. Uh, some sort of obvious storyline or, you know, the, the most efficient yes. way to get our stories in. So, yeah, because, and then it's a long night, you know, we go to press conferences, we talk to players and you come back, you transcribe, you write. I mean, at that point, all you're thinking about, or at least all I was thinking about was, all right, how do I write the best story I can in the most efficient timely manner that i can and then go home and sit on my couch
0: <laughs> so so we are rooting for somebody we're rooting for ourselves
1: yes 100 <laughs> 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 yeah, percent. I, I mean like at least i am
0: absolutely 100 um,
1: and that's not to say like like in hindsight i mean the the 2016 national championship game was still one of the most epic things i will ever see in my life in my career that game was wild but i had a total. And actually sometimes I talk at Carolina and my professor asked me to tell this story. I had like a total meltdown that night in Tampa because I had 10 minutes. It was my like fourth game on the Clemson beat. I had 10 minutes to write. I had the sidebar, which at that point, obviously the, the side story is not obvious. If the game story is not obvious. And I had 10 minutes to make it for print. And in a paper that I knew was going to be hanging on everyone's walls. And I like went home that night and I called my mom crying. And I was like, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. Like this was so stressful and crazy. Um, And so those, those close games can be awesome. And of course now, you know, seven years later, I'm like, that was pretty sick. But at the time, it's just total, it's just total panic sometimes when you're on deadline and, and trying to scramble to meet a print deadline, especially.
0: Okay. So is the sidebar that you wrote, is it on that front page?
1: I have no idea. I have never <laughs> looked at. It. I never, I never read it back. I could not even tell you. Well, originally the sidebar, like it looked obvious at first. Originally, um, who was Alabama's running back at that time? Was it Bo Scarborough? Yep, yep. Okay, that's what I think the original story was going to be on because he obviously had a lot of success in the first half and it kind of looked like it might be headed that way. And then, obviously, Clemson won and he got hurt. And so, um, it became kind of... We're, we're headed into the fourth quarter. I'm like, I don't, I don't think this is going to hold up anymore. And then, you know, you get down to... Six or seven minutes left in the fourth quarter, and you don't even know what's going to happen in the game, let alone what the tangential storyline is going to be. So, to this day, I have not once read it back. I've never Googled it. I have no clue where it was in the paper. Um, and I'll probably, I'm, I'm like giving your readers now an open invitation to go, you know, read some of my probably not best work. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where it was in the paper.
0: Do you remember what it was about?
1: I remember, like, the lead was about Renfro's catch, which I don't know that it should have been because that's the game story. Um, so, honestly, no, I don't remember what it was about. Like, I think I, that's, you know, those moments where you just kind of black out. Like, I saw Taylor Swift three weeks ago. I feel like I sort of blacked out during that, too. It's um, just a, just a real experience.
0: Well, at least you didn't have to write about that concert ten minutes after. The, yeah, you know, right, afterwards. right.
1: It's going on everyone's wall. Yeah, for sure.
0: So this was legit a traumatic experience that you walked away from saying, I do not even want to think about that, that night anymore, just because it was just, it was so hard.
1: It was, yeah, I think I was just, because again, like in college, all of my experiences were on a basketball deadline and obviously basketball games are half the length of a football game. Um, and I put, I I am a person that I put a lot of pressure on myself, uh, just career wise. I'm, I think I'm pretty internally motivated. And so I knew obviously the magnitude of this game. I knew that this would be the paper that everyone would buy and, and hang on their walls. And I was 23, I think. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that this was a huge, like seminal moment in my sports writing career, um, and all I wanted to do was just knock it out of the park. And I, you know, I showed up like, I'm ready to go. I'm going to crush this. This is going to be epic. And then it happens and you have, I think I think I had 15 minutes um, before our print deadline arrived. Um, and you're, it was just, it was unlike anything I had ever experienced before.
0: And this is 15 minutes after the game ends and you don't have, yeah. you're not able to go down and, 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 and right. do interviews no and such. Quotes.
1: Yep. No. So at that point, we haven't heard from Dabo. We haven't heard from players, and that's the thing. And I'm sure you obviously experienced this at the posting courier too. That's the thing. I think sometimes our readers don't fully understand is that when you're working on a print deadline, like that's it. You got to send it because you're not going to be the reason that there's a giant gap in the paper the next day, or the reason that the printers are furious at the whole company because it's late. Um, you just have to kind of roll with it. There's not a lot of time to think about it or craft a nice first sentence or whatever. Um, you're just you're just rolling, which I, I'm sure you had many of those nights when you were at the Posting Courier.
0: My first season at the Posting Courier, uh, covering Clemson, 2004, early that year, Georgia Tech comes to town. Um, Calvin Johnson is on that team. And Clemson, it's a pretty tight game. Clemson pulls away early fourth, early to mid-fourth, I believe, 24 to 14 and big time rookie mistake, I start writing and I have my head, I have my head in my computer when (laughs) the most most monumental parts of the game happen. It's like Clemson has a three and out. Uh, George tech scores a touchdown to make it 24, 21, but there's still. There's still literally, there's still less than a minute left. And I'm like, Oh, pff, oh come God. on. And so I'm, I continue to write Clemson, another three and out. Then they have to punt. I'm like, well, surely they're going to get the punt off. Like there's tech has no chance of going, you know, 70 yards in, in 20 or 30 seconds. Well, the, the, the deep, <laughs> the deep famous snapper, last
1: words,
0: the deep snapper. And I did not see this. Deep snapper literally, like, dribbles the ball 10 feet backwards and doesn't even come close to getting to the punter. Georgia Tech recovers. I, what I do see is them is the game-winning touchdown pass to Calvin <laughs> Johnson. <laughs> I literally have to ask people around me, okay, what happened? I'm literally writing down the That's play-by-play amazing. from the accounts of the other writers who were around <laughs> me who actually did watch. And so that's always, that's one thing people really don't understand is the choices you have to make when you're in that type of situation. Like the, you have to calibrate and sort of largely guesswork. Okay. How long is it going to take me to do interviews and such and then get back up here? And then how much time am I going to have to sit and write a story Um, and then that's on top of an exhausting day, because like you said, you said you show up to the stadium in Tampa and you're just juiced up for this, you know, Titanic matchup. But then the game lasts like three and a half, four hours and it's exhausting. And so by the time you actually sit down to write, you're just frazzled. I've been through that many, many, many times. Um, and you're you're just like, I just want this to just make sense, (laughs) you know, and get the score right, and um, it's it it there's an art to it that I still, all these years later, um, still haven't really totally
1: mastered. I think you're a great game story writer because you're now. I feel like, and I think this is journalism in general, right? Like we've shifted more towards what happened and, or less towards what happened and more towards the analysis portion mm-hmm. of it, which is where I think you really shine and you process in a way that I've always been impressed with like i just cannot process that quickly so whatever's going on in your brain um i'm jealous of that well, but thank you. yeah i mean but it, it is hard right like it's just um and then i read other journalists because you know i always like to read other people and see where i can get better or read people i admire and i'm like how did you do this i mean it's just unfathomable to me how they how these people can write just these incredibly well-written detailed um just fluent game stories knowing that they had five minutes to do it. I'm like, you guys are, are just wired super awesomely.
0: Well, part of that, I think, okay. So back in the older days of newspapers, the beat reporter was not just doing one game story. He or she was doing a game story, like a notebook, you know, grades, sidebar, like often like three things, you know, sometimes four, and so when you're having to juggle all that it's that's why it's hard to write coherently you know on a, on a deadline largely and these are even for like afternoon games when you don't have that uh uh you know late game crunch staring you in the face but i really believe that of late and it is a problem with writers of all stripes in every medium newspapers websites whatever is it's the tendency and the, the, the pull of Twitter, like,
1: yes. And
0: I'm like, at a certain point, I don't, I don't remember when this was. This is a long time ago. I don't know, six, seven years ago. I'm like, why am I, why do I, why am I looking at what everybody's saying? And why am I like trying to come up with one liners on Twitter during a game? Why don't, why don't I just watch the game? (laughs) That's what I'm here to do.
1: Yes. A hundred percent. Because it becomes this sort of like communal experience, right? Like we watch it. Twitter has allowed us to basically watch it with the readers that we serve. And so I've always inherently felt like, okay, I should be in tune to what they are thinking or asking or saying, because this is the audience we're writing for. But you're right. It is such a balance because then you, you do have to remind yourself like, wait a minute, we're here. They're watching this. A lot yeah. of them are watching this on TV. Um, so yeah, Twitter is, is like a, it can be a, a cluster sometimes. i um, just trying to figure out, okay, how much of this am I going to look at and how much am I just going to turn this off and watch the full game? So
0: you were also around for the 18 national championship that was won in Northern California. And you mentioned, and I try to explain this to people, you know, because some people might assume oh man that just must have been just a wonderful moment but you say you're not a fan but you how how can you enjoy it like that you say that it was an amazing experience and I'm like well look like no I'm not sitting there saying oh my god Deshaun better complete Renfro better catch that pass you know and then jump up in the air when it happens it's more during that process you're just trying to figure out what the hell happened you know, and so you can, when you do sit down, you can try to, um, do it justice with, with what you write. And at least in my case, it's, it wasn't until like when I was on the bus in Tampa, going back to the hotel at like three in the morning, when I finally have a chance to just sit and be alone with my thoughts and you're trying to process everything. And I'm like this, I can't believe what I just had the opportunity to just be around, you know, to be witness to like, this is incredible. Like, so it's, there's a difference between, oh my God, this is great. You know, they they just went down the field and scored a touchdown. Yay. And, and still being, you cannot do that. <laughs> And still be profoundly affected by what you just covered. Does that make sense? I'm kinda of rambling.
1: Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, just the opportunity to witness greatness and to and then to document greatness in our case. Not I mean, that makes it sound more important than it is, but um, but yeah, I mean, I think every sports writer got into our industry because we were captivated by athletes in big moments and big stages. And so to have a front row seat to greatness, I think is so Cool and, and and that's how I felt about that 2018 season. Um, just like and I think about this often, actually, especially on Sundays when I see Trevor on TV. Like just just the fact that we got to cover Trevor Lawrence's career, um, particularly his freshman season, is is just so. Like, that's, you just don't ever forget it because, you know, he'll go down as one of the greatest ever. We'll talk about him 30 years from now. I will probably tell my kids. Let me tell you about this quarterback I covered back when I was cool and in my 20s. Um, it's just, I don't know. You just think about those those things, like witnessing history in real time, I think is, is a really cool experience.
0: At what point, looking <laughs> back, did you think you started to feel comfortable um, doing that, covering such a big... You know, do uh, uh, such a big beat, uh, one that intimidated you at first, um, but I'm sure that over time it started to feel normal and not as as big, and you know, sort of like, you know, you developed a routine and and just felt it felt like a smoother process.
1: Um, I would say I I do remember being excited for for Trevor's freshman year because I knew we that everyone on the beat would be on an even playing field, just in the sense of um, he's a freshman, so none of us have ever been around him. Um, so I do remember 18 being a year where I started to feel a little better at that point. Um, you know, the, the defensive lineman had been there for a really long time, but I had, I had done. And one of the things that I was glad the posting career had done, they had me do a big Christian Woken story before I joined the beat. And so that helped me a lot in the sense of just getting familiar with, you know, the faces of this team and SIDs and, you know, the Clemson audience and that kind of stuff. So at that point I felt, I felt like I was decently comfortable with the players and sort of had a better understanding of just the roster makeup. But, but yeah, I would say Trevor's freshman year because we were all in that same situation where we were like, you know, is Kelly going to win this job? Is he going to keep it? Is this freshman from Georgia going to come, you know, do obviously what he did. Um, But I, I don't know. It's, it's also such an evolving thing that you never fully feel like totally not, I don't know if confidence is the right word. You never totally feel um, content, you know, because yeah. you're always trying to like do the next thing and, and, and be better than you were the season before.
0: There is a, I think, I mean, if if somebody's just listening to you and they've never read your work, they're like, Oh man, she must not be very good, but you're, you're a tremendous writer, a tremendous storyteller. But I think that, I think if you're not insecure, I think insecurity makes people great because like you just said, you're always worried about this or that. You're trying to be better than you were. You're trying to not be in a whatever certain situation, you know, do you, you see what I'm saying? I think that's what, that's an ingredient, a key ingredient to, to your success.
1: I mean, I think I look at our careers similarly. I mean, not to like even put us on the same strategy as these athletes but it is similar right like the second that they get complacent or content they lose a little bit of their edge or their motivation and i think we're the same way um and in the same sense that their wins and losses and their great moments and their not so great moments are on display for the entire world to see so so are ours and so i think about that a lot too just in terms of i always want to be um like motivated by something or driven by something. I don't want to say, oh, well, I wrote this story I was proud of, you know, six years ago, and then and then sort of hang your, your hat on that. I think in some ways we are as good as our most recent story, which is not to say that every story is going to be home run because it's not. A lot of it is day-to-day just coverage of the beat and, and maintenance of who's hurt and who's in and who's out and the depth chart and all that kind of stuff. But um, I don't know. I, I just always wanted to have something pushing me forward. Does that make, I don't yeah. know. I feel like I'm rambling
0: now. <laughs> Absolutely. What about working from home? When you move up here, you're obviously not in a Post and Courier newsroom. I've told people you have to be cut out for that. You have to be driven sort of a self starter, you know, because if you're not, then you're like, Oh, I'm just <laughs> going to sleep in or, you know, um, be distracted by all these things I can do at home instead of an office setting. How, what was that process like learning how to, um, you know, to sort of be your own, your one person shop, essentially, as far as that goes?
1: Uh, that part was hard for me. Um, I think I've gotten into a better rhythm, but I'm a person that I do really well with structure. Um, and that's why I think, For as exhausting as football season can be, I always looked forward to getting into that routine and just knowing every, you know, Monday I'm going to be doing the same thing for the next four months. Um, But it is hard, right? Because you do have to motivate yourself. And then, but you also don't want to be in a situation where, or at least I wasn't, where I look up and I've been writing this story for six hours and I haven't seen another human all day, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to get out and get some fresh air and, and all that kind of stuff too. And then, and then there, but there would be times where I'd be like, you know, do I really need a, a two hour walk? Like, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's hard to sometimes motivate yourself, but once you get into a, a rhythm, I think it's better. And then I think too, like having a space, um, in your home is so crucial, like a home office or a, this is where I'm going to do my work stuff. And then when you're done, leave it.
0: With the Post and Courier, you, you know, you were, you were covering the daily beat, but also a big part of your job was, you know, finding good stories that, that nobody else had. And then was it 2019 that you went over when you went over to the athletic?
1: Yes, it was February of 19. Yep. That's correct.
0: So a much different job. I mean they they hired a a, a bunch of of quote-unquote beat writers, but the your sort of the mission there for each of you was not to really focus as much on the nuts and bolts each day of such and such, you know, turned an ankle or something like that, and more telling the bigger picture stories, maybe writing, I don't know, three times a week, correct me if I'm wrong. And then, after games, instead of writing just a straight game story, you're telling a big story you know like um some you know like a uh something that somebody can sit there on a Sunday and really sink their teeth into is am i am I covering the the biggest sort of changes to your responsibilities there when you shifted from the post and courier to the athletic?
1: yes, for sure, like I think it was I wrote. I had like someone told me this when I joined the athletic, and I didn't fully understand what they meant by it until I was in my first season. But they said I have fewer bylines than than normal, but I'm writing more than ever mm-hmm. before. If that makes sense. So it was a lot of I would write three times a week instead of eight times a week. But then when you would, if you were to compare the total word count, mm-hmm. um, they were probably equal or, or maybe even a little bit more at the athletic, just because. The athletic knew that we were going to be obviously a new outlet coming into markets that had been established for, you know, forever, for, for years. And so um, they just wanted to look at it a little bit more big picture wise, but yes, that was definitely the biggest, the biggest change.
0: And what was that like? Like it's probably something that was more in your wheelhouse, but still something that took some reprogramming and that, you know, if there's something an issue on a Tuesday that pops up, it's not like you're immediately writing about that. You're trying to have some distance um, to it and, and write more big picture, maybe. So, was that an adjustment at all, um, just to just compared to what you had been doing?
1: I think reprogramming is a really good way to put it because, I mean, you know how we are. We're like the when we see breaking news or we see an injury or we see something, our instinct is to be all over it immediately. And do I need a, a quick story and comment and tweet it and all this stuff. And so, um, there would be times where I can't think of a specific example, but there would be injuries where, uh, normally at a newspaper, I would, that would be my main story for the day. I'd, I'd write a whole story about the injury, what it was, why it mattered, who was next up, blah, blah, blah. And then when I was the athletic, it was more of a tweet or more of a quick headline. Um, and so I felt like I had to reprogram my brain to say, okay, um, just because this is what I did in the past. And then just because this is what a lot of people in my beat are doing, I'm not behind or, uh, missing out if I just send out a tweet. And that's the part of our jobs that I think sometimes we overthink and overanalyze is that our readers don't live on Twitter like we do. Um, and they see, I think they see the news and then they read it and then that's it. Whereas were constantly on Twitter and, and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm I'm three minutes behind, the, the sky is yeah. falling. Yeah. Whereas they read it and then they move on. So yep. that that took a, a little bit of of acceptance for me.
0: And then I assume the game day and game story routine, dramatically different in that with the Post and Courier, particularly for like an eight o'clock game, um, you're slaving away, you know, just trying to get it in, um Before deadline, whereas with the athletic, there's a much different type of pressure, but still pressure nonetheless in that. No, you don't have to spend any time during the game trying to shovel in copy uh, by a deadline, but you do have to go do interviews. And after that hour and a half or sometimes two hour long process with Dabo is involved (laughs) you're staring at a blank screen at one in the morning and you've got to write something long, you know, really in depth and thoughtful and, and something different. Tell me about what that process was like and how that might've sort of posed its own challenges.
1: Yeah, it was, it was a different sort of pressure, sort of like what you were saying. I mean, when you're on a deadline, when you're on a print deadline and you have 10 minutes, you don't have any time to overthink when you don't have a print deadline and you have all the freedom in the world to explore anything you want. Um, I'm the queen of overthinking. And so that's oftentimes where I would find myself is it would be 1am and a bunch of the print writers would be finished because, you know, they wrote through their original print story. They were working with something by the, you know, when the game ended and then they updated it. Whereas I was sort of starting from scratch and, so I loved the the freedom of that. And I loved feeling like I had the time and the space to sort of dive into things from a, a little bit larger viewpoint. But I do remember being like, Oh my gosh, I, my brain is about to break in like 30 minutes and I got to turn this in. Um, and I would overthink that constantly. So different, different type of pressure for sure.
0: If you're in the Columbia or Sumter or PD areas, and you're in any way interested in buying and selling of home, When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experienced team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm, Smith & Archendhold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507 so tell me through, through those years, covering Clemson, posting Courier Athletic, um, what was, what was the sort of relationship with Dabo like, how did it evolve and maybe your observations of sort of how his, the perceptions of him evolved because that night in Tampa, I think he was still in a sort of a, the honeymoon phase of being the new thing, you know, like people were just fascinated by this guy and his culture and the people around him, but then they kept winning a lot. <laughs> and then people got, not long thereafter. People are like complaining about the Clemson, Alabama thing, you know, like we need something new and, 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 and this guy's talking too much and he's saying some controversial things. What did, what do you recall about that whole sort of the, the evolution of, of, of his, Uh, how people viewed him from afar and then, and then how you viewed him sort of from a closer angle.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that I always think about with, with Dabo is that he's always been someone who has spoken his mind. And so I've never left an interview being like, I wonder what he really meant. Like you always know exactly what Dabo Sweeney is thinking, right? For better or for worse, we usually know what he's thinking but it was interesting to see sort of the evolution as you were talking about because more people were starting to pay attention. And so that was the big thing that I started to notice was I was surprised when I first started covering Clemson at how relatively small the the base was compared to what I thought it would be. And compared to Ohio state, Alabama, you know, I didn't realize that it was sort of a smaller alumni base and et cetera. Um, and so I think at first it was when he was speaking his mind and saying certain things, we were sort of still tapping into a local market. And then as they started to win and win at the rate that they did, he very quickly grew into a national market. And then the more he would speak his mind on things, the more people wanted to know what he had to say. And and with that came more criticism and you know more people weighing in. And I think, too, he started to as they started winning and, and as he's starting to become more vocal, then we go into the pandemic where people are on social media all day long. Right. Because we're all stuck at home. And so we're all just doom scrolling all day. And then and that I think started conversations and, and sort of, you know, ignited different things. But um, it's, I think it's just, I think it's been fascinating. I, I think he went from, you know, Clemson in many ways was sort of America's darlings and, beating big bad Alabama and the pizza party and BYOG and all that good stuff to, okay, they've arrived and now people are, are chasing them and and no one really wanted to hear the, the Clemson underdog motif anymore.
0: I know that the last time you were in Clemson, I don't remember when that was last fall, I guess. Um, you and I were sort of, you know, talking about Asking some of the us, ourselves some of the same questions most people are asking, including Clemson fans, and that is, all right. Is you know how are, is this going to be able to be sustained? You know, the model he built was built under different parameters. You know, with with no NIL, um, no transfer portal, um, to say nothing of no juggernaut over there in Athens winning back to back national titles curious what you're and and this falls this sort of dovetails into your responsibilities now covering recruiting what do you make of Clemson's stature right now obviously you know they uh, slipped the last two years lost six combined games but still they're recruiting um pretty good so um just curious what what what's your take on the sort of state of Clemson recruiting right now, state of the perception and and, and state of things, just the program as a whole.
1: Yeah. I mean, I remember going into, I guess it was last season. um, The, yeah, I think it was going into the 2022 season. I remember thinking whatever happens in this off season ahead of the 2022 season is sort of, we're going to look back on this five, 10 years from now. And I think it's going to be a defining moment in where clemson heads right because they're sort of at this crossroads and and they're coming off of all of the success of the playoff and then obviously we saw them struggle in 2021 and we were wondering what's going to happen with dj and and all of these things and i just remember thinking like this is going to be a defining moment one way or the other and so i look at clemson now and i think that Dabo still does things the way that he believes in and i think that it's it's different from a lot of major programs. And that's where I think people sometimes have a hard time with it because he doesn't operate like some of the people that are in his level of success are operating. Um, he sort of does things his own way, but I really think, and I've thought about this a lot. I really think the way that I'm that we're going to view Clemson moving forward, honestly, sort of depends on what happens with the ACC. Like I've thought about this in the sense of if they can't get out and if they are stuck until 2036, while the Big Ten and the SEC are tripling them in revenue, like, is this it? Like, have we seen the best of Clemson? And, and I don't know the answer to that question. And I'm sure this will be on a bulletin board or locker room material <laughs> right now. But um, I just wonder, like, can, can you compete? Can any team compete? Not just Clemson. Can anyone, not in the Big Ten or the SEC, win at a national level when they're tripling them in revenue? And that's what I don't know.
0: And how about? I mean, we have very quickly gotten to the point. I mean, just two year, two summers ago, I'll never forget. Yeah, you know, the start of NIL. It seemed like every story that was written on an NIL deal had this little disclaimer. Um, schools aren't NCAA rules prohibit schools from <laughs> <laughs> from signing. You know, from from you know, doing for players from from taking NIL deals in exchange for where they sign, you know, it has to be this, I mean, and it, and it, and it just deteriorated so quickly, so rapidly from there to the point where it's like, okay, this is freaking pay for play outright. And now we're at the point where coaches and others are openly saying, Hey, if you're not in the game of, you know, paying this big money recruit, whatever he wants to go to your school, then you're going to be in some trouble. What do you think about, Clemson's positioning in that respect because, I mean, yes, they, they have NIL. Uh, you know, they're not, they don't have their heads in the sand and they are making an earnest effort at that. But I do think Dabo genuinely is still going to be turned off at any sort of demand, so to speak, of, yeah, coach, George is offering me 500000 so you're going to have to match that. I mean, I think he would tell the guy to just leave his office at that point. And so I'm just curious where you think given that Clemson's viability from that perspective moving forward.
1: Yeah. I mean, I look at it in, in this class alone, right? They are, uh, Oh, for four on quarterback recruits. Correct. And I'm not saying that I, I don't know what went into all of the other kids decisions. So I don't want to insinuate that they just left for, or they didn't pick Clemson solely because of NIL. Um, but I do think that that's going to be, a huge part of it is, is, and that's one of the big questions I've had is, is Clemson going to play the game? Because you're right in the, in a lot of ways, if you're not playing the game, you're going to get left behind. Um, and that's not to say that you can't play the game differently than your competitors are, but you still have to be in the conversation. And I think wh- why Clemson was so good in 16 and in 18 was they had, they had that mix, right? Where they got their five stars, they got their Trevor Lawrences, their Dexter Lawrences, Christian Wilkins, all that good stuff. And then they they meshed it with the Isaiah Simmonses of the world, the Hunter Renfros of the world that they developed, and it made for this very dominant, uh, very effective strategy. And so now, as we're seeing NIL sort of change the game and sort of change recruiting, um, I still think Clemson is going to be exceptional at development. And I think their talent evaluation is as good as anyone in the country, but at the end of the day, you do have to have five stars. And I know that Ari Wasserman, my coworker, rants about this all the time. (laughs) Stars matter, blah, 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 blah. Um, But, you know, Clemson won the national championship in 2018 because they had a five-star quarterback, right? Like, I mean, granted, the the two-star wide receiver in 2016 was the one who caught the game-winning pass, but they still have had big-time five-star quarterbacks. And so I wonder about that, too. And then I wonder as well, if you're a coach in the SEC or the Big Ten and you're recruiting against Clemson, I mean, that's that's got to be something that you bring up, right? Like, do you want to go play in the ACC where they're making a third of the revenue that we are? Or do you want to come here and, and play in the biggest games with the biggest TV rights? So I, I think that's part of it, too, that you've got sort of two different things working against you, if you will.
0: I think maybe the best way to crystallize the big NIL question with regard to Clemson and, and, and how much it could cost them not really... You know, uh, swinging with the the big the big dogs, so to speak, is just take a look at that decade. Um, the superstars of that decade, starting with Sammy Watkins, Deshaun Watson, Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence, um, T. Higgins, maybe a couple of others. How many of those guys under these parameters? would have still come to Clemson with Clemson it,
1: or yeah, or would have gone somewhere else. Yeah. And that that's a question we'll never know the answer to, right? But yeah, it's a it's a great question. I don't know.
0: But if you're being uh, honest, if you're being honest, right. you have to say, uh <laughs> might have they might not not have any of it and, and maybe not close.
1: Yeah. I mean I feel like I could make an argument that I think Trevor Lawrence probably comes to Clemson regardless. Um I don't, I I don't know. I say this out loud and I'm like, maybe, I, I don't know. Like, it just felt like he and Dabo clicked from the start and, and Clemson was a little later in his recruitment and, and all that stuff. But I don't know. And, and I also don't, um, you know, and this is something I've, I've ranted about a lot is that, um, with our, with the college football's issues with NIL right now and with how much of a mess it can be and all these things. I hate when the kids get blamed because I think it's the adults that are, (laughs) that are sort of driving this ship and, and ruining this. And so, um, you know, I mean, if I'm a five-star quarterback and I've got suitors, I'm, I'm probably going to ask. I mean, that's what we do in our normal jobs, right? Like, that's how capitalism works is we, we decide now I'm really going on a rant, but we, when we interview for jobs or we decide where we're going to work, we, we talk money. Like that's a, a thing that happens. So if I'm a five star quarterback, I'm, I'm probably doing the same thing, honestly.
0: Well, and like in the case of Cade Klubnik, you know, I remember his, his mother telling me, you know, he doesn't give a crap about NIL. You know, he just wants to go to Clemson to be, become a better man and this and that. And, and his family is, is well off um but i think that and that's great for them you know certainly i'm not saying that's the the wrong approach to take but the longer we go and the more normalized and certainly of course legal this is even even the the the, the athletes the high profile athletes that that are from from means so to speak and who 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 aren't living paycheck to paycheck who's going to who's going to think it's smart to turn down <laughs> or whatever, you know, it's, it's money that you've earned through your profile, you know, even though you haven't earned it in college yet, it's still, I think you're going to find fewer and fewer people saying, no, I'm good. Not making all that money. I'm just going to wait, you know, three years to when I maybe have a big payday, maybe, you know, so it's going to be fascinating. Can we talk about your, uh, the transition to recruiting, writer from clemson beat writer just how that took shape
1: oh sure um let's see when did that when did i start that like a year ago may of last year maybe um we i I just felt like it was sort of the next step career-wise if you will like i at that point i had been on the clemson beat for um what five seasons six seasons um and so I think I was like creatively sort of ready for another challenge, and then also I I knew just in my in my personal life I was probably going to be needing some flexibility soon, and so that was a lot of it. Was that um, I love Greenville and I would love to settle there, but I I knew that that was probably not going to be in the cards for me, just personal life wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I sort of pitched it to them because I wanted to. Uh, first of all, as you well know, people are absolutely obsessed with recruiting. Um, it Also, our dog is barking, so if you hear <laughs> that, that's what that is. Um, but I didn't realize fully how invested people were until I started covering it in the sense that like, if you're a team that's operating at an elite level, people want to know, are we going to sustain this? And if you're a team that's struggling, people want to know if they should have some hope. And then you throw in... and you throw in the transfer portal. And I just think recruiting is, uh, it's unlike anything we've ever seen before in college football. And I just, I just find it really fascinating. I find roster construction, very fascinating why kids are drawn to certain schools, why schools are drawn to certain geographical areas, whatever. I don't know. I just felt like there was just a wealth of, of topics to cover at that point. And then we obviously live in an area of the country that is so fertile, just recruiting wise being in the Southeast. And so um, that's kind of how that came about. I just kind of pitched like, a, can we go a little hybrid here and, and sort of branch me out a little bit more and, and use, you know, some of the knowledge that we have learned from the way Clemson operates, and then sort of look at this a little bit more, a little bit more nationally.
0: Intimidating at all to just totally start something new, try to tackle something new and something that doesn't there are no events. There's nothing that happens that you're writing, that you're writing about, really. Uh, no, there's no game, you know. Um, no press conference. You have to, you have to go find ev- almost everything that you're writing about, right?
1: For sure. And that was I. Th- I felt like it was equal parts intimidating and also like so riveting yeah. and exciting, right? Because you're no longer beholden to whatever you see. Um, I give my editor. Like I have the best editor in the world, and he is an absolute ideas genius guru. Um, Mitch Light is my editor Mm -hmm. at The Athletic. And he, I remember when we first started talking about this, we sort of decided early on, okay, 24-7, rivals, um, now on three. Like, these are established recruiting brands. And so we need to think about this in the sense of how can I, how can we just approach this a little differently? Like, I mean, the Clemson Beat knows this as well as anyone. And so we decided we were going to look at it a little bit more big picture. And then I remember one of the first things that he told me, my editor, Mitch, was that he was like, let's have some fun with this. And so, um, like one of my favorite stories last year that we wrote was what's it like to tell a coach? No, you know, when you're a high level five-star recruit and you've got 30 offers and you decide you want to go to Clemson, but that means you have to tell Nick Saban, thank you, but no, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm working on a really fun one right now. I actually just talked to Brent Venables for it this week about what is it like to recruit another coach's son, um, mm. and Dave Clawson obviously did that with with Tyler Venables, um, and so we've. I, I feel like he's helped me attack it in a way that's just, hey, we there's just so there's a gazillion different ways that we could go in this direction. So like, let's just throw out some of our fun ideas and see what happens.
0: What about the difference? Like, when you're covering something on a daily basis, a, a program and a coach and players, there's attention, not attention, but a, a space, a
1: space, T E N I S O N,
0: that exists there because they're high strung, you know, especially during a season. And it's like, what does this person want to write about? You know, what are they trying to dig up? You know, and you're just kind of like, more of an adversary, not that, not that Dabo considers as adversaries. He's really good to work with, but I'm, I'm curious the differences between dealing with something you're covering on a daily basis. And I'm talking about mainly coaches and how they respond to you compared to what you're doing now. I would expect they'd be when you're just sort of, Hey, Brent, how you doing? I hadn't talked to you in a while. I got this idea, yada, yada, yada. That is much more, um, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's friendlier. Maybe that's just a different, um, you're, you're greeted differently. Is that, does that make sense?
1: Yeah, for sure. It is different because, um, you're right. Like I'm not, I'm not there every day. And, and now when I hit up, well, first of all, I I always loved covering Brent Venables. (laughs) I thought he was so fascinating and sometimes he was hilarious and other times I thought (laughs) he was like, I just, I loved, um, the, just dynamic of covering him, but it is a little different now when I say, Hey, I'm working on this story. I would love to talk to you about something that happened five years ago, you know, as opposed to, um, when we were at Clemson every day, we're talking about, you know, your defense two nights ago, I guess, or right now. um, Or I'm not, I wasn't coming at it from, I didn't have any injury questions. I didn't have any scheme questions. And so I think it's now that it's a little bit more big picture for me, um, in those settings, it's a little bit less under a microscope, right? Like where, when we're in the, in the season and, and on the beat and doing that kind of stuff, we are digesting and breaking down almost everything they say and do every single day. Whereas now it's a little bit more big picture and, you know, we can kind of shoot the bull a little bit about Different, different
0: things. I gotta ask you about a recent story you wrote on uh, NC State, and the premise was, "Wow, how have these? How has this team not won an ACC title since is it 1980 or ever? 1979. 79. North Carolina is 1980. Yes. And you did a great job of sort of chronicling the reasons um, for it and sort of their the times that they." were equipped to do it, but just sort of tripped through the doorway, including at least one time against Clemson in 2016. But Doran, it seemed like the quote that, one of the quotes you had from him, it seemed like he took exception to you suggesting that, hey, you know, you guys haven't been able to do it. And when you have high expectations, you don't you don't really meet them. What do you have to say about that? And he was like, something to the effect of, I don't understand your question. <laughs> can you take me back to that? I just, I'm curious to hear more about that interaction.
1: Totally. Yes. I mean, I will say, and I'll start with this. I feel, I have a lot of respect for Doran for even having this conversation with me. Because when I pitched this story to NC State's SID, well, actually, let me back up. We were going to write this story, um, like regardless, because we were doing an off-season project where we're looking at interesting programs that are either at a Critical Juncture or maybe like Georgia's, you know, sustaining a lot of success right now, just programs that we're fascinated by. And so I knew that if we were going to write this story about NC State sort of struggling to get over the hump, not only would it be like just not me doing my job as a journalist, but it would also be unfair to all of our readers for me to not try to talk to Dave Doran and Boo Corrigan at NC State. And so I sent the request into NC state's SID and I was pleasantly surprised when Doran agreed. And I gave him, I give him a lot of credit because essentially in my pitch, I said, I'm I'm working on this story about how NC state has been historically dominant, but it's struggled to get over the hump and take the next step. Um, And obviously he's been there for for 10 years. And so um, um, the fact that he even hopped on the phone with me, I was like, good on you, dude, because this is not an easy conversation to have. Um, but his point in, in, that, in, in that part of our interview was, and agree or disagree with this, I, I tend to disagree with it. Um, he felt like NC State had more so been overlooked and had been flying under the radar and that outside of the 2022 season, uh, he didn't feel like anyone externally had big expectations for them. I didn't necessarily... A, a agree with that. I mean, I think that, uh, obviously last year we, we did have huge expectations for them, but in my mind, NC state has been respected for a long time. And maybe that's because we had a front row seat to Clemson and NC state every year where something crazy happened and it was always a really captivating game. Um, but I always felt like nationally they were, they were actually pretty respected and, and people had pretty high expectations for them. So, um, he's totally, I thought he was totally in bounds to push back on me and, and, he's a you know, that's the, the, uh, the beauty of having a conversation. Um, but yeah, kudos to him for, for even taking my call, if we're being honest.
0: I think he's wrong. Like you, like, I mean, in 18, they were supposed to be good when they came to, to, you know, to Clemson, like they were, they were pretty highly thought of. I thought my recollection because they gave Clemson hell in 17 and then 16.
1: Yeah. Um, so, I,
0: I yeah, I, I think he's, I think he's sort of cherry picking Well,
1: when you look at, and I think Mike Glennon said this in our story, and when you say it out loud, you're like, oh my gosh. I mean, they've had an NFL quarterback for each of their five last quarterbacks. I mean, you've got Glennon, you've got Russell Wilson, you've got Phillip Rivers. I mean, that's two Hall of Famers right there. Um, Bradley Chubb was excellent when we saw him i mean they're they're producing a lot of talent and they're having a lot of success in the nfl which i think is also an interesting part of this is okay well nfl scouts really love your players um and so and and they think that they're they're good enough to to pay them a lot of money and so i think that's the other part of the question is okay if you're you've got the talent um just what is what is sort of keeping you from from winning a title and no divisions I think this year will be really telling. Like I think these next two seasons for NC State are really important because yes, they got stuck behind a hot Clemson team and a hot Florida State team and Doran got there, but those are now gone. Um, so I'll be fascinated to see kind of where they go from here.
0: Well, I do we do have to give Doran the benefit of the doubt, given that he has offered a shotgun a beer with fans. So you can, Epic, you can right? that, that overcomes a lot.
1: I mean, yeah, and that's what—that's a part of him that I'm like, I—I I love how he's so, uh, like, well suited for the NC State fan base. You yep. know, sort of blue collar, smoking a cigar, shotgun and beers. He had that red solo cup, member on ACC Network yep. after they beat Clemson. I was like, this is awesome, you know. Um, so. Yeah, I I I would love to see him shotgun a beer at some point.
0: Well, and I think I think Glennon nailed it. He said, "Here, if you go to a bowl game, you beat North Carolina, and you throw some one-liners about the Tar Heel fan base, then you're going to have a job here for a long time." He he checks all those boxes.
1: (laughs) Totally, exactly. Um, So, and I and I think he's a really good coach. And so I'm curious to see if I think this year will be a little bit more of a rebuilding year for them. But I am. it, It does sort of feel like okay, it's this is it's now time to go to go do it, um, 10 years in with, with no divisions.
0: Well, Grace, I have kept you a uh, long enough. You have a lot going on right now, obviously. Um, but just want to say you, you were always delightful, uh, around the Clemson beat when, when, when we were around each other and really admire your ability to adapt, um, to something totally different and covering recruiting and, and telling great stories there um, that's something a lot of people don't have. And with, with the industry, the way it is right now, man, if you don't adapt and you aren't sort of thinking outside the box, then you could be in trouble. So man, you're really, really, uh, really respect you and all the work you've done and, and will do in the future.
1: Uh, thank you, Larry. Likewise. I, I mean, just watching you operate over the years and source build and, you know, you were obviously someone I looked up to when I first joined. So it's cool. Like getting to, you know, you've, I guess technically, in some ways, we were com- competition, but it is cool when you get to learn from other people every day on your beat and and all that good stuff.
0: If you can fit an extra bottle of wine on your in your uh, check baggage uh, coming back, <laughs> I'll pay. I'll pay double.
1: Deal. Oh, I would never. I would never price gouge you like
0: that. <laughs> Have a great time and uh, best of luck uh, on your move and all that. Sounds like an exciting time in your life.
1: Oh, thanks so much, Larry. I really appreciate you.
0: Okay, a lot of fun there with Grace, who is on the verge of having a lot more fun in Italy. Uh, that sounds like a blast. Appreciate her sharing her time with us. And of course, uh, the support of our sponsors who have been so helpful over the years. And then most of all, thanks to every one of you for hitting that play button. Really appreciate it. Cheers.